Good morning, church. I was uh, reflecting this morning on the, the magic of South Dakota that last uh, Sunday it was 60 degrees and sunny, and then by Friday we had our first snow day. I did not see that coming. So I appreciated all of the be strong and courageous verses that were read over children because I was like, Lord, help me to be strong and courageous as we head into South Dakota winter. But we'll get through it together, right? We do every year, so it'll be good. I want to start this morning with uh, an observation. Have you ever noticed that different cities and different regions have different driving cultures, like driving on the road? Have you noticed this? So when I did college ministry here, this would have been six or seven years ago now, um, we, every year we went to New York and we worked with an organization called the New York School of Urban Ministry. And they would partner us with different uh, nonprofit organizations where we would go and share the gospel and tell people about Jesus. And, and as part of that, uh, we had to, I mean, they provided transportation, but we had to drive it, right? So they would give us like an early 90s 15-passenger van, maybe late 80s 15-passenger van. Some of them were rusted out so you could see through the floorboards. And then... <laughs> They give the, the keys to us Midwestern people. They're like, all right, now you're going to drive downtown Manhattan, right? Which I'm thinking, great, thank you. Like, now I have to drive this van through Manhattan with uh, 14 backseat drivers. Uh, and so that was a, an experience. And every time I came to a four-way stop with stoplights, what I would notice is that in New York City, what happens is when, when you're at a red light, the people behind, behind you are watching the cross traffic. As soon as the cross traffic, as soon as their light turned red, they're already on the horn. Now, if, if the light in front of me turns green and I'm not already like two-thirds of the way through the intersection, then there's some interesting waving happening, lots more horn honking. The problem was I'm in this early 90s van. I have the thing floored and it goes zero to 15 miles an hour in about 15 minutes. <laughs> So I'm like, Lord, please give us the strength to get through this intersection while people are honking and it's like, welcome to Manhattan, right? Now, I grew up in, in the Chicago area on the southeast side of Chicago. My wife, uh, we were dating at the time. She was on the west side of Chicago. So I drove through there all the time. And in Chicago, this posted speed limit on most of the interstates is 55. If you were driving 75, you're in the slow lane. If you were driving 55, you're a road hazard, right? Like that's just how it works there. Then 10 years ago, uh, we moved to Brookings. And in Brookings, it's not unusual to drive five miles an hour under the speed limit, right? And I had to learn like, this is okay. I have nowhere to be. It's all right. Like I had to like bring my blood pressure down. And then there's this phenomenon of the Midwestern four-way stop. Do you know this? Have you done this? I like still once a week, I come to a four-way stop and we are like the nicest people. It's like, okay, you first. And then they wave me on, no, you first. And so we both go at the same time and then we both slam on the brakes and like, okay. And they, you know, and then it's like, we're all just waving each other on. Like, look at us. Like we're just, we're doing great. And then we're not making any progress. Right? We're just stuck there. And you laugh because you've lived it, right? You know, but it's like, that's our culture. And I appreciate that. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about disputable matters, Right. And I want us to wrestle with this core question. How do we begin to tangibly move forward in, in unity and maturity in a Christ-like way? And so last week, we, we began this discussion of how to move forward in disputable matters. And we talked about things like make every effort to do what leads to peace and the mutual building up of one another. We talked about being mindful of others' convictions and where you have differing convictions about disputable things, discern whether or not that's something you need to keep between yourself and God, right? That's what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 14. 
And, and I realized, like, we talked about those steps, but my concern is that we're still sort of functioning like Midwesterners at a four-way stop, where we go, okay, we have some steps, but we're going, okay, it's your responsibility, you go first. And the other person's looking at us, no, go, no, it's your responsibility, you go first. And I feel like sometimes in the area of maturity, we're sort of at an impasse going, okay, who, whose job is it? How, how do we actually move forward in unity? And so what I want to do today is to continue the conversation that we started last week and talk about how do we actually make progress? How do we step forward in this uh, incredibly important call to Christian unity? And so for that, I want to turn our attention again towards Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. There the apostle Paul writes this. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of, each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, did you notice the way that Paul starts chapter 15? And by the way, uh, Romans was written as a letter, so Paul did not write in the chapter breaks, right? Those were added much, much later uh, when modern printing processes started. So you, we have to understand that this was meant to be read as one long letter that when it was originally given to the church in Rome, it would have been uh, read by a leader in the church and they would have read this letter from start to finish. So where we see sort of a break in the thought process when we get to a new chapter, actually Paul's just continuing a conversation. So the context of this is the context of what we've been talking about in Romans 13 and 14 for the last uh, two, three weeks. This idea of how do we move forward in unity in areas of disputable matters. So now in chapter 15, Paul makes this statement. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And I would suggest to you that for Paul, he's saying the spiritually mature have a responsibility to lead the way in unity. We who are strong. And notice, by the way, that Paul includes himself among those. So that gives you some idea. Paul was obviously an apostle. He wrote um, a good portion of the New Testament, right? He is a mature believer. And particularly in Rome, uh, one of the core issues was you had believers of differing convictions about whether or not they needed to uphold the Old Testament dietary food laws. You had those who were influenced by a Jewish background who said, no, we still need to hold to eating kosher, clean and unclean foods. And then you had a bunch of Gentile believers who said, no, we believe that all food is clean. Paul in chapter 14, you remember, he gives his opinion on the statement. He says, I know and am fully convinced that all food is clean. And yet he says, if you have differing convictions, be mindful of that. Now in chapter 15, Paul says, if you are strong in the Lord, you have a responsibility to bear with the failings of the weak. And, and I think this is something that we need to take seriously, that if we are going to navigate the way forward in unity and in a cohesiveness as the body of Christ, we have to recognize if you are spiritually mature, you have a call and a responsibility to help lead the way in unity. And how? By bearing with the failings of the weak. And that little phrase, bearing with, I, I think it brings a couple different components with it. One is to, to patient, patiently navigate those moments of failings with a weaker brother or sister. 
Also, I think bearing with means that you take on the burden of their journey with them, that you step alongside of them, that you say, can we navigate this together? And church, can I tell you, one of the things that I see sometimes is that when a brother or sister in Christ, who's not where we're at, when they have a failing moment, we do this. We step back and we go, why don't you have this figured out yet? Shouldn't you be further along? Shouldn't you have this figured out? And we forget the word that Paul says, bear with the failings of the weak. They don't know what they don't know. They're not mature because they're not mature yet. So can you patiently and with compassion come alongside them and help lead and guide them into maturity, right? Elsewhere, Paul says it this way. Let let me read for you Colossians chapter three. This is Paul writing to another church. And I want you to notice the similarity of the bear with language. Colossians three, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, right there in that verse, what Paul has said is he's addressing believers. He's addressing those who are in the body of Christ. He says this, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Catch this, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, let let, let me stop there, right? Notice how Paul describes this in in verse 12. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When Paul says clothe yourself, he's not saying this is like a costume that you wear. He's saying, no, 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 this is the character of Jesus that is being formed and shaped in you. This is who you are and who should be consistently each day progressing toward to be someone of compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility. And he's primarily addressing believers, Right? I don't expect our wider culture to, to have these virtues. Why? Because they don't know Jesus yet. But I expect us as a church to model these virtues. Why? Because this is who we're becoming in Christ. Can, can I tell you what I've lamented over the last two years? There have been a lot of difficult things happening culturally. And what I've seen is there is a sort of angst that's happening in our culture. And maybe you've seen this if, when you're out and about in a store and things get crowded. And it just seems like... Patience is wearing thin for a lot of people in our culture. Do you feel that? What I've lamented as a pastor is I've seen this feedback into the church. And at times I have felt and seen and experienced attitudes and dispositions and conversations that are aggressive and that are angry and that are are, are not compassionate or gentle. Right? And yet Paul says, we who are walking with Christ, right? We should clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and gentleness. Right? Right? I love that description of gentleness. I mean, think about sometimes how our culture is described, right? In a secular way. We might describe it as a dog-eat-dog world, right? We, we hear those kind of cultural descriptors. And what people are describing is that the world is tough and things are hard and it's difficult. And yet what Paul is describing in the church is a radically different way of functioning in community in which there's gentleness and patience and compassion with one another. So now going back to the the immediate context of Romans 15, Paul says, we who are strong ought to bear with, have the burden of navigating somebody's journey with them, the failings of the weak in a a way that is patient, in a way that is, I would argue, bringing in the context of Colossians, in a way that is compassionate and kind. And here's why I think compassion matters. Often what happens is when our brother or sister fails us, we want to correct them so that they know it's punitive. Rather, I think what Paul says, when we're compassionate, we're correcting them for their flourishing, for their well-being, and for their Christ-likeness and maturity spiritually. 
Church, I think that this is a serious thing, that we who are strong in Christ have a responsibility to lead the way in unity by patiently bearing with the failings of the weak. Now, I think what else is interesting here is the way that Paul describes spiritual maturity. Let me go back to 15 verse 1 and 2. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now, notice what Paul says here. He he says that spiritual maturity is about a transformed way of living in which those who are strong in Christ are serving their brothers and sisters, right? Paul uses this word pleasing. We, We don't please ourselves in bearing with the failings of the weak. It's not about my agenda. It's a question of how can I serve my weaker brother or sister? And Paul says when we serve in this way, not furthering our own agenda, but serving our brother or sister in Christ, he says you are serving in a way that imitates and that models Jesus' way of serving. And he brings in this example. He quotes Psalm 69, and he says Jesus was willing to take on insults. Jesus was willing to be persecuted for his call to go to the gospel, not serving his own agenda, but serving the agenda of the Father. And in the same way, Paul says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please yourself, but to rather serve your brother or sister in Christ. And so I think for Paul, it's uh, spiritual maturity is not just knowledge. It's not just what we know of the Bible. It's transformed living demonstrated in service to others, demonstrated in service to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, I think physical maturity, we often describe as a move as, as a baby, you're need somebody for everything. You're totally dependent. Physical maturity often looks like a move towards self-sufficiency and independence. Maturity in the body of Christ looks like godly dependence and a move towards communally serving. Right? I think it's fundamentally different. Now, here's, I think, a question we have to answer. Right? Paul has said, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, he says, rather to please your neighbor, to please your brother or sisters in Christ. Now, we hear that word please, and and I think we have to ask this question. So is Paul just saying go along to get along? Is Paul saying don't have hard conversations? Is he just saying uh, we should be people pleasers and we should just indiscriminately accept whatever happens? No. No. Right? And we have to look at what are the purpose and outcomes of serving others. Let me again read 15, 1 and 2. It says, we who are strong, again, if you are a mature believer, you have a responsibility to lead the way in unity by bearing with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Look at verse 2. Each of us should please our neighbor, should serve them, catch this, for their good and to build them up. Right? When we talk about serving someone for their good, you'll remember maybe in Romans 8.28 where it says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love them and are called according to his purpose. And Pastor Steve preached on that, message, or on that passage a, a few months ago, and you'll remember that he described God working things in our good as working us towards Christ-likeness. Right? When we talk about serving our brother or sister in Christ for their good, what we mean is we are serving them in order to help move them along in their journey of Christ-likeness. And, and Paul says, not just for their good, but also to build them up. 
Right, so he's not saying just go along to get along. No, this means in, in community, sometimes we're gonna have hard conversations, we're gonna have hard moments, but it means that if you are a mature believer in Christ, you are gonna navigate that with gentleness and patience and compassion, and you are going to serve your brother or sister in Christ in order to move them closer and closer to conforming more and more closely to the image of Jesus Christ. This is not people-pleasing and indiscriminate acceptance of all things. It's how can I patiently come alongside a brother or sister and say, hey, let's journey towards Jesus together. Now, still, there's maybe the question of, okay, Paul says, please my neighbor, please my brother or sister, but how do I tangibly serve them, right? I think to understand the how, you have to go back to what Paul has previously said in Romans 12. Do you remember uh, probably a month and a half ago when we talked about the motivational gifts, right? Paul has already said, you're a body who, if you're following Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Christ is in you and he has given you a gift of the spirit to use to serve the body. So let me read those for you. Romans 12, four says, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others, right? We form one body and we belong to each other, right? There's mutual responsibility here. Verse six, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And now in verse 15, Paul's saying, you who are strong, bear with the failings of the weak. Come alongside them, build them up for their good, moving them towards Christ's likeness. But Paul has already described a tangible how. He's saying, you have been gifted with a gift of the Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ. Are you bringing that gift to the table and offering it in service to a weaker brother or sister to help move them towards Christ's likeness as we navigate spiritual growth together? And again, it's with gentleness and compassion and patience, bearing with one another in love. Forgiving as the Lord forgave us, Paul says in Colossians, right? So here's the challenge, right? Part of me likes Romans 51. Y'all who are strong, we who are strong, Paul says, ought to bear with the failings of the weak. But then have you ever been on the other side of the failing of a brother or sister in Christ? That's hard. Maybe there's a brother or sister in Christ who has wounded you or hurt you or offended you. And I think I'm mature and suddenly I come up against this moment of offense, this moment of what I feel like is a failing and suddenly my own woundedness, my own insecurity gets in the way and I want to lash out and I want to retaliate and then I hear Paul saying, we who are strong ought to bear with patiently the failings of the weak for their good and for their building up and that becomes a much more difficult thing to step alongside a brother or sister in Christ when they've hurt or wounded or offended, right? So this is not a light thing to bear up underneath the failings of a brother or sister because when a brother or sister fails and does something, it hurts, right? And yet what Paul is saying is the unity of the church is way too important to let that unity be at stake. 
I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, right? But when the letter of Romans is written, there are roughly 200 believers in the city of Rome. 300 years later, the edict of toleration will be passed and Christianity will become the official religion of the Roman Empire. And, and I look at this and I go, how does this ragtag group of believers have profound cultural influence? And it's because the church in Rome modeled a different way. They lived in a divided culture that was lost and desperately in need of hope. And yet the body of Christ in Rome exhibited this place where brothers and sisters dwelled in unity for the cause of Christ and they became a transformative presence. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans 14? Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Sometimes when we have differing convictions, we're willing to let disunity tear apart the church rather than bearing with the failings and weaknesses of a brother or sister as we all move towards Christ-likeness together. You heard Pastor Ryan in his prayer mention some of the mental health concerns that are happening in our community with students. Does it break your heart, church? In the article that I read, four attempted overdoses. That's four too many, church. In our community. And we have the hope of Jesus. And we have been called to go and make disciples and to tell other people about the hope and the transformative possibilities of Jesus. Listen, church, what we have to offer and the mission of the gospel is so utterly important that we cannot let division or disunity or disagreement get in the way of the mission that we are called to. And I'm not saying we don't have hard conversations. We have to push into those things, right? For the mutual upbuilding of one another. But I hope and pray that our hearts are broken for the brokenness that we see in our community and that we double down on this commitment to unity and the cause of Christ for the sake of the gospel because people need the hope and the transformative redemptive possibilities that only the gospel can bring. And yet sometimes in those moments, right, we feel ill-equipped, we feel discouraged, or we feel like giving up because this process of moving towards unity can be hard. And that, that's the challenge, right? What do we do when we feel ill-equipped? What do we do when we feel discouraged? What do we do when we feel like giving up? And notice, Paul speaks to this. And it, it's almost like a side tangent, but I think it's incredibly important. Look at verse four. Actually, verse three. He says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He quotes Psalm 69, and then he says this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. I want you to notice the beauty and the profound thing that Paul does, right? In his church, there is argument over, do we uphold the Old Testament food laws or not? Realize Paul quotes from the Old Testament, and then he says, everything that was written, that scripture was written to teach us. Paul is affirming the teaching of the Old Testament, even as he invites the body into unity. He says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Church, when we feel ill-equipped and discouraged and not knowing how to move forward in unity, I think we have to go back to the, the teachings of scripture. That's where Paul goes, right? As he's encouraging the church, he says, uh, he quotes Psalm 69 and it says, we have to recognize that scripture was given as a teacher to guide us. If we're going to align our life with the words, ways, and wisdom of God, we have to be rooted and saturated in Scripture. And, and notice then that Paul goes on and he says this. 
For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, catch this, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That in the scriptures, we encounter stories of endurance and stories of encouragement. And Paul says, as you read and engage scripture, we somehow gain by the grace of God, endurance and encouragement to continue on in our journey. For me this week, I, I thought a lot about this and I thought, how, how do I see scripture giving me endurance and encouragement? And I went and looked at Hebrews 11 and kind of reread that sort of hall of faith, right? As we sometimes call it. And I looked at some of the suffering and the challenges that other believers had. I thought about the Exodus story where the people of Israel were wandering in the desert and yet God brought them through. And over and over again in scripture, you see that God is gracious and God is faithful and God is always unfolding a plan of redemption and God is always leading his people towards salvation. And church, one of the things that I've experienced over the last couple of years is a number of believers who feel like we're losing hope because they see what's happening culturally and there is fear and with fear comes anger and there is discouragement because look at what's happening in our culture. And my question has been, do you think God has lost control? Because I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that God who holds all things in his hand, who spoke everything into existence from nothing, he is never out of control and he is unfolding a purposeful plan of redemption and God is bringing all things towards that plan. And he invites us to participate with him in that plan of redemption. Are there discouraging things happening? Yes, but church, I think we need to go back to scripture and root ourselves in hope. And notice what Paul says. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's my prayer. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary in losing heart. That's the end of that Hebrews Hall of Faith chapter. And then I went back and I read that over and over this week. And I just said, man, God, would you give me that endurance? Would you grace me with that encouragement? Because moving and working towards unity and reconciliation when you've experienced the failings of a brother, sister in Christ, and we're not perfect, so we're all gonna have moments in failure, but we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And part of how we have the endurance and the encouragement and the hope to do that is in a life rooted in scripture. And when I despair of the things that I see, I go back to the word. And I go, man, Israel was patient for 40 years and they saw God's promise. And so scripture is a guide that teaches and endurance is modeled in the lives of those who've gone before us and it's taught in scripture. And yet still in moments we feel weary in the process. And when we feel weary in the process of moving towards unity, I think we have to pray. And I love how a number of times in his letter, Paul stops and he just prays for the church. Verse five is, is one of those, right? Paul is writing and he just stops and he, he prays two verses. May the God who gives endurance 
and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so church, I think we need to pray, recognizing that God graces us with endurance and encouragement. Because catch what Paul says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, right? Endurance and encouragement aren't things I work up. Those are gifts of God's grace as we are aligned with his mission of redemption in the world. And there's moments where I just go back and I say, God, would you grace me with those things? And then listen to what Paul says. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Jesus had. Do you you recognize, church, the very profound thing that Paul is saying there? He's saying that brother or sister in Christ, the one who you've experienced their failings or the one that you're at odds with, he says, I pray that God would help you see them with the mind and the attitude of Jesus. And what happens when we disagree is we tend to make an enemy of the other. And yet Paul prays that they would see each other with the mind and the attitude of Jesus. And so that person that we are at odds with, that place where disunity is springing up, Paul says, I pray that you would see one another as God's beloved. And recognize that person with whom you disagree and that person with whom you want to think the worst of their character is someone that Jesus was whipped and beaten and spit on and nailed to a cross for. And Paul prays that God would give you the attitude and mind of Christ for one another. Likewise, Paul says it this way in Philippians 2. In y'all's relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Mm. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, this is the kind of mindset that you are to have towards one another. I think the outcomes of unity for Paul are important. See, for Paul, the importance is not uniformity. He's not saying it's important that we all have the exact same convictions and the exact same thought processes about things that aren't clear in Scripture. His goal isn't uniformity. His goal is Christoformity. Funny word, I know, but Christoformity means to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus. And Paul says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Can I ask you a question? Do you consider yourself a mature believer in Jesus? How do you do with the failings of the weak? Do you bear up with them in patience and in service for their upbuilding to help move together towards Christ-likeness? Do you have the same attitude and mindset of Jesus towards them that Christ had? Secondly, I think Paul's outcome, and he states this clearly in verse 6. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the purpose of all this is that God is glorified when the church worships in unity. So I want to leave you with one question. 
Who is God calling you to lead the way in serving? Is there a weaker brother or sister whose failings you need to bear up underneath and together move towards unity and Christ-likeness? Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning uh, to worship together in, um, in song, to worship together in the hearing of your word. And God, I pray that what Paul says in Romans 15, 6 would be true of us, that you would be glorified, Father, as we worship together in unity. God, would you grace us? Would you give us the same heart and attitude of Christ for one another in the power of your spirit? Pray it in Jesus' name.